0: So if you've got a Bible, uh, hopefully you're at 1 Corinthians 10. And here's, here's how I want to kind of jump into this passage. I want to begin by asking you a question. And here's a question. Have you ever found yourself here? And by here, I mean, have you ever found yourself in a position that was, it's kind of a, you know, a complicated situation, difficult situation, maybe it's been the culmination of a lot of different things, and you, and, and it's like, how on earth did I get here? Do you know that, do you know that experience? It's like, oh my, you, you, someday, and some days it's just like you wake up and go, I can't, I don't, I don't, I don't know how I got here, this is complicated, it's difficult, it's not where I want to be, but how on earth did I get here? Now, in asking that, I realize sometimes we find ourselves in these awkward, difficult, disappointing places due to things in our past. Sometimes we find ourselves here due to situations beyond our control. Sometimes we find ourselves here due to the decisions and and sometimes the hardships created by other people. But likewise, sometimes we find ourselves here... And here (laughs) is a result of decisions and attitudes and habits that we've been developing all along the way. And then it ends up here. It's like, this isn't the place I want to be. Do you know that feeling? Do you know that experience? Right? It's, How did I find myself here financially? Because I've gotten into so much debt. How how did I get here in this dating relationship? Because this relationship is not really good for either of us. We're two different people moving in two different directions, yet how did I get here? How did I get here in my job? You know, I've made progress, maybe I've been promoted, but I've, I've made some sacrifices along the way and compromises along the way that I regret. How did I get here? How did I I get here with my parents? You know, there are times I just haven't been honest and now I just feel alone. How, How did I get here in my marriage? Somehow we just drifted apart and I don't know how. How did, how did I get here personally? Because the truth is I've developed some habits, some ways of engaging life that are wrecking my life. How did I get here? Have you ever found yourself wrestling with those sorts of questions? Well, here's why I ask. If you're new, hey, we're, we're glad to have you. We're in this series called Love This Book, and in this part of our Love This Book series, we're looking at the letters written by Paul the Apostle in the New Testament. We're just spending one or two weeks in each of these letters as we follow his life and ministry. And this morning, we're coming to a letter we know as the first letter of Paul to the church in Corinth. We know it as 1 Corinthians. Now, you know, in Paul's missionary travels, he came to this place in Southern Greece, known uh, this popular city known as Corinth. He starts a church there. You can read about that in Acts eighteen, and then later on in his journeys, he gets feedback from the church about some of the questions that they are wrestling with. And really, one of the purposes of this letter is to answer specific questions. This is why, for instance, as you read 1 Corinthians, particularly when you get to the latter part of the book, it feels like he's jumping from topic to topic. And it's almost like, I think, he's got their letter in front of him, and it's like, well, now you ask about this, and let me talk about this. And then you ask about this other topic, and let me talk about that. So that's what Paul is doing in 1 Corinthians. And as we read Paul's response to some of their questions, at one point in... Acts chapter, uh, excuse me, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul does something, I think, really fascinating. Here's what he does. He looks back into Israel's history, and he alludes to different scenes in that history. And in essence, he says this, look, I want you you to learn from the mistakes of other people, right? I, I don't want you waking up one day and going, how on earth did we get here? You don't don't have to find yourself in this place. And if you're here, you don't have to stay here. Instead, I want you to learn from the experiences of others. And he leans into the history of Israel. And we're going to see how he does that. But there's really one overarching warning in this passage. And, And that warning we find actually in verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 10. Kind of the conclusion of the part that we're going to look at. Where he says this. Therefore, my dear friends flee from idolatry. Now, in seeing that, you need to understand, so Corinth was a place, right? It's a popular city, powerful city, influential city. It would have been filled with temples. Let me just show you this picture. Uh, This is part of the archaeological remains of Corinth, and and the, the columns there would have been part of what was known as the Temple of Apollo, one of the most famous temples in the city. You see the kind of the hill in the background that's known as the acro that would have been filled with temples as well. So temples, this, this temple reality was an important part of the city of Corinth, and it was something that just surrounded these early Christians who lived there. And so in telling them, I want you to learn from the history of Israel. I don't want you to get stuck here. I want you to learn from the mistakes of others. The major warning that we're going to look at this morning is this idea, I want you to flee from idolatry. Now, I realize that your first thought may be, what does that have to do with me, right? You know what? There are no little statues in my apartment. No little statues in my house. Maybe the bobbleheads of a couple of your favorite football players, but you know, no, not anything I worship, right? So what does this have to do with me? Well, I realize that may be your initial thought when we come to passages like this, but let's just take a few moments to discover what's going on here, and I think there's going to be some wisdom for us as well, in these pages. So what, it, what was actually going on that leads to this conversation about idolatry in 1 Corinthians 10? Well, to understand what's going on, we need to go back to verse 1 of chapter 8. Here's how chapter 8 begins. Now about, and when, I says now, when he says now about, I think he's actually referring to their letter. Okay, now concerning the issue, this bullet point that you raised, this whole issue of food sacrifice to idols. And he begins a discussion, really, which goes from the beginning of chapter 8 to the end of chapter 10. As it turns out, one of the questions that these early followers of Jesus had, (laughs) guess what it revolved around? It revolved around food. Now, here was the deal. Again, I've already showed you a picture from Corinth, a city filled with temples, and, and just in terms of how that ancient culture worked in the Greco-Roman, or the Greco-Roman period, you need to understand that there would have been um, all kinds of religious festivals and people worshiping these idols in these temples, and food would be offered, and then often after the food was offered as, as a religious sacrifice, it was then taken to the market so when you went to the market it turns out that some of the food items you know as you're going down the aisle some of the food items had actually been used in pagan religious festivities and so the question emerges in the early church well what what, what do we do now this food has been offered to idols what should we do and Paul begins unpacking that that question and there's some in the church that are very, you know, conscientious, very conservative, and they're like, oh my goodness, we can't, we, we can't have anything to do with that. I don't want to even walk down that aisle, right? And, and then there, there are others who, who say, you know what, it just doesn't matter. These idols aren't real. Come on, let's just enjoy life. And furthermore, it turns out Paul actually seems to be dealing with multiple issues in this passage. It turns out that for some of these people, they were kind of so confident in who they were. They were so comfortable in their freedom and their rights that they were also very comfortable participating in religious festivities that were held in these temples. And and one of the things you need to understand um, is this particularly if you were a person of some social standing, if you had some level of influence, were well-connected socially, there would be multiple social gatherings you would be invited to that would take place in these temples. Furthermore, these social gatherings, these dinners, often had a religious component. That was just the way people rolled back then. That that, that was just part of the evening, and it would include worship of these other gods. And there would be certain annual festivities or regular festivities where you would be invited to these types of dinners. For instance, it appears Corinth was really central to the rise of emperor worship in Greece, so there were certain festivities where the emperor would be worshiped. There was a major Olympic competition, or excuse me, a major athletic competition that was held in this region. It was one of the major Olympic uh, athletic competitions in Greece. It was held on a regular basis, the Isthmian Games, and there would have been certain religious festivities and dinners and activities associated with those games. And if you were a person of prominence, you would be invited to those things. And so there were people in the church that in essence were saying, you know what, let's just do what we want. We've got the freedom to do this, so I can gather with my Christian brothers and sisters on Sunday, but then I can go to this stuff at the temple on Friday night. And this is is really where Paul draws the line. Don't, Don't do this. Flee idolatry. And I think, in essence, he's saying, because if you don't, you're going to find yourself here, whether you realize it or not. And so he he says, I want you to learn from Israel's past so you don't make the same mistakes they did. And so now let's look at how he says that. Let's look at the opening paragraphs of 1 Corinthians 10. He says this Look, I don't want you to be ignorant right? I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. Now, notice what, what is he doing? He's, he's thinking back to the exodus, to God's deliverance of people out of captivity, and he's kind of doing this with powerful imagery, and he said, they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and he continues, they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. This is kind of a confusing imagery, but what, what Paul is getting at is he says, Look, in the past, all these people benefited from God's grace. And his understanding of the role of Christ in creation and history includes the reality that and Christ was with them and empowering them all along the way. And so they had such benefit. Nevertheless... God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Despite all of this working of God's deliverance and grace, look what happened. And notice what he says. Now these things occurred as examples, right? I want you to learn from the mistakes of others. You don't have to repeat the mistakes they made. These things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts, we'll come back to that, on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angels. So all all of those examples were kind of tying into scenes from the Old Testament. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us, right? Once again, he's saying, look, learn from the past. You You don't have to get stuck in the same patterns that we see at work in our history. These things were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, when you go back earlier, what I want you to notice is Paul says that really the fundamental problem is what you might describe as misdirected desire. Verse 6, these things occurred as examples to keep, them from, keep us from setting our hearts on evil things. And when he talks about setting our hearts on evil things, he says, look, this is, this is foundational to the problem that I'm unpacking for you. It's misdirected desire. I've mentioned this before, but I think someone who really helps us understand this is a Christian leader actually from the 4th century AD, Augusta. And, and one of the things that, that Augustine really explains well is this. He, the way he describes it is at the core of who we are, our problem is misordered loves, right? As humans, we, we, we're we designed, we're wired, we're hardwired to love, we're hardwired to worship. But the brokenness of sin results in misordered loves, and that includes loving the wrong things. It also includes loving good things in the wrong way. For instance, taking good things and making them ultimate things. And we can do that with all sorts of things, right? It's good to work, but it's, it's wrong to make that ultimate. It's good to be part of a family and to lead your family, but it, it's wrong to make that ultimate. And on and on and on. And so, So Paul here he's kind of unpacking this issue of idolatry, says that foundational to idolatry is misdirected desire. In thinking about that, here's, here's, here's a helpful way to think about idolatry. This is from Tim Keller. He writes, if anything becomes more fundamental than God to your happiness, meaning in life, and identity, then it is an idol. If anything becomes more important to you than God in terms of how you think about happiness, meaning in life, and identity, then it is an idol. And there, there are kind of all sorts of ways we can do this. Let me let me just give a couple of examples, and these are things that Keller highlights in his writing. For instance, uh, here are just a couple of examples. We we can really you know we can make an idol out of power and success, right? My life only has meaning. I only have worth if I have a certain level of success or power or influence over others. Right? Look how many followers I have. (laughs) What will it take for me to get to the next level of my goal? I I can make an idol out of power or success. I can make an idol out of approval. My life really only has meaning or value if I am loved and respected by, and you can fill in the blank from family to co-workers to people that I'm in relationships with, right? We can make approval an idol. We can live with a sense of, I I, I just need their approval. For instance, maybe I'm so convinced that I have to be in a dating relationship that I need approval from someone else that I'm willing to do anything to get it so we can make idols out of power success approval what about comfort life only has meaning if I reach the standard of living or if I have certain things and if I have this stuff to make me happy or what about control life really only has meaning if I can control this area of my life to be honest with you, this is, this is, this is a place where I, I kind of <laughs> see idolatry at times creeping up into my own life. For instance, I'll, I'll give you an older example. Um, have you ever been unemployed? Um, I remember a season of unemployment in my life. I thought it would be a couple of months. and it turns out, I mean, a couple of weeks rather, it turned out to be much longer than that, multiple months. And what I noticed was, as I look back on that experience, what I noticed was that for a while, it was like, I just didn't want to. I didn't want to have in-depth conversations with people. I didn't want to meet new people because I knew if I met new people, this issue would come up. Now, it wasn't like I wasn't doing things and, you know, applying and contacting people. I was doing that, but it was like, it was almost like there was this need in my life to control this part of my life. And the fact that... (laughs) that I wasn't in control, that it hadn't worked out as I thought it might or as quickly as I might. It was touching something pretty deep. And it kind of just exposed that reality. Wow, I can I can, I can at times really just want to have control of this in such a way that it becomes an idol. So here's, here's what Paul was addressing, right? These people have just gotten comfortable They've gotten comfortable participating in these works and events that include the worship of idols. And Paul is warning them, don't don't make space for these things in your life. Don't give them influence over you. Because if you do, you're going to find yourself here, right? Right? I mean, what does he say? Hey, be careful about pride, lest you fall. Let you find yourself here in this place you don't want to be. And in, in warning them, he makes these allusions to Israel's past. and let, let's just go back and look at those, because wh- what you find in this passage is he makes four allusions to Israel's history. And interestingly, in the original language, in, in Greek, these, these four themes are really stated in parallel. It's almost like an ancient, <laughs> it's an ancient version of a PowerPoint slide with bullets, right? I mean, these, these four themes are presented in parallel, and I think Part of the reason Paul does that is he sees these themes as interrelated. And and I think the the four themes he mentioned here, you might think of it this way. (laughs) This is the ecosystem of idolatry. These themes are interrelated, and this is kind of what... Paul is warning against. He's he's, he's warning against idolatry and the related themes that go with it. This is kind of, this is what it looks like when idolatry is allowed to take root in our lives. So let's just look at Paul's warning. First of all, he does warn against idolatry in verse 7, and it includes this quote, again, verse 7, do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. And you're like, well, what is that referring to? Well, that's actually a quote from Exodus 32. You remember that scene in Israel's history, they're at Mount Sinai, Moses is on the mountain, he's getting the law, and it's like they get tired of waiting, and we're just going to take things into our own hands, and what do they do? They make an idol, they make a golden calf, and this quote is from that scene in Israel's history. And so, uh, in these four things that Paul mentions, he begins with this, right? He says, look, this is is what can happen. We can let this misdirected desire take root in our lives, and it leads to idolatry. And then the next thing he mentions is the issue of sexual immorality, as you continue. He warns against sexual immorality. And I think there's a, a particular historical reason why he mentions that here, and that is this. And many of these activities, these dinners that these people were going to, and the temples that included idol worship, part of that idol worship could also include sexual immorality. That was just, for some of these gods, that was how they were worshipped. And again, Paul is alluding to a scene out of the Old Testament here. And and I think for us, part of what he is getting at is this. Paul, Paul is indicating that idolatry involves distorted values, attitudes, and priorities, right? These, these two really become interrelated. They've, they've you know, they've gotten it, involved in the worship of idols. They've allowed idol space in their lives, and it's, it's distorting their values, their priorities, how they engage life. The third thing he mentions is really doubt that puts God to the test. You see that in verse 9, and and here I think the idea is, again, he's drawing from a scene from the Old Testament, but here he's, he's looking at these people and saying, look, you're moving in the wrong direction with the assumption that God's just going to be okay with that. With the assumption God is going to protect you, and this is presumptuous, even, even in your relationship with God because you're being fragrantly disobedient. You're putting God to the test. And then the final thing that he mentions is really despair. Complaint and murmuring in verse 10. And I think in a real sense, this can be at times what it looks like when you find yourself here. Right? This can be what it looks like when things don't go according to your plans. Because one of the arguments of the Bible is over time, idols don't deliver. They just don't. And and, and so Paul argues, I think that this these themes go together in terms of this is kind of this is what the outworking of idolatry looks like. This is the ecosystem of idolatry. For instance, maybe you know maybe maybe I made success an idol. Now hear me clearly. It's good to be diligent in your work, to to develop skills, to do well in school and your career. That but. But maybe for me it's no longer just a good thing. It's an ultimate thing. Right? It's really become the source of my identity. It's become an idol. And, and and see, because it's now become an idol, it can right, it can lead to distorted priorities, perspectives, attitudes. For instance, maybe I'm compromising or neglecting important relationships in my life because of this drive for success. Maybe I'm abusing my body in terms of exercise, nutrition, and rest because of this. And furthermore, in a real sense, I may be testing God. I'm presuming, yeah, God wants me to be successful. God, you know, I'm I'm doing this and have God's blessing, but I'm not really thinking it through as to how my choices, attitudes, and priorities are affecting my relationship with God and others. And then finally, at some point, maybe there's a hard moment, (laughs) right? Maybe there's this moment when I find myself here with grumbling in doubt because the truth is the idol of success can be a weighty taskmaster. After all, when, when you go down that road in a real sense, you're only as good as your last successful moment. But what happens when things don't go according to plan? What happens when the unexpected circumstances challenge your sense of security? What happens when others seem to be getting ahead and getting the opportunities that you thought you should have gotten? What happens when they experience a successful moment that you thought should have been yours? Paul says, look, this is what, he's looking at these people and saying, look, this this is what the path you're on leads to. I don't want you to get here and just wonder, how did I get here? Here's how you got here. I want you to learn from the history of Israel and flee idolatry. Now, at this point, we can say, okay, I, I get what he's saying, but but now what? Right? Okay, Paul, if I take what you're saying with, seriously, now what? And that's, that's really what he addresses In the last couple of verses. Look at verses 12 and 13 again. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Let me just highlight a couple of things I think Paul is saying here, right? (laughs) First of all, he says, look, I want you to be careful. Because you you can be on this road thinking, hey, it's going great. It's going great. And then one day you wake up over here. And it's all come crashing down. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. But he not only gives that warning, he also gives, gives us guidance on how to avoid kind of getting stuck there. Right? He says, look, first of all, no temptation has overtaken you but that's common to human experience. In other words, what he's saying is is here, look, the things that can get you off track, the different things that can become idols in our lives, they're always going to be around you, so don't be surprised by that. Right? You're you're always going to have the opportunity to take something that's good and make it ultimate. You're always going to have the opportunity to really go after things and value things that really aren't good for you. So you just need to understand this is common to human experience. Nonetheless, God is faithful. Interestingly, and I I almost wonder if these are the texts that Paul has in mind. In the Greek version of the Old Testament, there are two places in Deuteronomy where this phrase occurs specifically. God is faithful. And in both contexts, these statements are made in settings that are talking about God's covenant, right? God's relationship with his people. So, in saying God is faithful, as a believer... Paul isn't saying merely something about God's character, as true as that is. He's also saying something about God's relationship to you. And saying God is faithful, he's saying as a follower of Christ, God is faithful to his promises with you. You are his child. You have been brought into relationship with him. And he will be faithful in the promises that he has made to you. And therefore, he says, he will make a way of escape. And I think the idea is not, look, God's going to do his part, then you're going to do your part. It's not as if, you know what, God is really for you, so he's going to open the door. Now you got to use all your willpower and you got to run through the door. Now again, I think the idea of God being faithful here is this. God has brought you into a relationship with the power of his grace And his grace is designed to work in your life in an ongoing way. So that as you live in the reality of that grace, you will be empowered in such a way that you don't have to find yourself over here. And notice he says, when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Please note, this doesn't mean that sometimes the really hard circumstances in our lives are simply going to change dramatically or disappear. That's not what's being said here. But what Paul is saying is, God can be at work in your life so that you do not have to live in that ecosystem of idolatry. Having said that, let me just very quickly just highlight a couple of action steps for you. So what do I do with this, right? I mean, how do I take seriously this, this, this warning to flee idolatry? How do I take it seriously so that one day I don't find myself here wondering what were all the little steps that led to this point? Well, very quickly, let me just highlight a couple of things first of all. First of all, know where you're vulnerable. You know, one of the reasons why I think it's important to think about this is, is just this reality. Our idols aren't always noticeable to others. For instance, I can be someone who is, who is perceived as simply hardworking and dedicated to my job. And, and other people may not see the way this idol of success has an unhealthy grip on my heart. So we need to pay attention to what's going on internally. And let me just give you some helpful questions and also recommend a resource for you. I mean, one of the helpful questions sometimes to wrestle with what's really driving your motivation is this. What can't I live without, and why? How about this question? Where does my mind drift when there's nothing else commanding my attention? Sometimes that's a powerful indicator of kind of what's really driving us. What's my deepest fear? Again, sometimes our deepest fears are, are tied to that which is defining us, and that can even become an idol. How do I spend my money? How about this one? When do you experience uncontrollable emotions? And what are those emotions tied to? Because again, that can, that can often be a clue, an indicator of what's really driving our hearts. I quoted earlier uh, a work by Tim Keller, and if you would just like to read further on this, this is, I think, the most helpful thing that I've read just on, on, on how to think about idolatry in our own lives. The book is entitled, Counterfeit Gods, The Empty Promises of Money, Sex, and Power, and the Only Hope That Matters. So I would recommend that strongly to you. So we need, we need to know where we're vulnerable. Secondly, I think we need to have an action plan, right when you realize where you're vulnerable when you you know realize this is how I get stuck in unhealthy patterns or unhealthy ways of thinking um you need to have an action plan and i think part of that just includes understanding the process right understanding that ecosystem of idolatry and over time if you're kind of aware of your own heart sometimes you'll see those all four of those patterns in your own life so you need to understand the process and and then realize hey what are my next steps uh, when it happens. For some of us, I think there's certain areas where we kind of feel ourselves, you know, there are different ways I'm being pulled in unhealthy directions. And uh, for instance, are, are, are are there places in scripture that really can kind of help pull me back? Places in scripture that remind me of who I am in Christ? Places in scripture that remind me of God's faithfulness and what that entails? When when I'm pulled into temptation or tempted to make some of these things ultimate when they're not, you you have an action plan. Uh, Again, um, for me, uh, you know, one of the things I've acknowledged is sometimes, yeah, that that whole control thing can be pretty foundational. And one of the ways it plays itself out is this. It kind of produces, believe it or not, procrastination because it's like I have to have everything figured out in my head before I do anything. And so part of my action plan is coming back to two questions. The, the first question is simply, what's my next step? You know, it's like if I find myself kind of locking up, I've got to, well, what if people don't like this? Or da, 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 you know, and you kind of, it's like I have to, and underlying all that concern is just I want to control this. So how do, what, what is my action plan? Well, one of the questions I ask is, I, it's kind of like, look, I don't need to have it all figured out, but what's my next step? The second question is who can help? Who can help? So if, you kind of, if you're kind of attuned to your own patterns of the ways you can kind of find yourself stuck in this process, you need to have an action plan. And finally, I think one of the keys to fleeing idolatry is worship. It's worship. You know, it's fascinating. Paul has this you know, you read through Acts chapter, I mean, uh, 1 Corinthians chapters 8 through 10, and it's really a nuanced response. He's trying to deal with both sides of these, of these groups well, and, you know, he's trying to lead this divided congregation through a very complicated issue, and, he, you know, yeah, he's like, you're, you know, you're right. Idols are nothing, but they can become something when you yield your heart to them. And so he's trying to be sensitive and and attuned to the different kind of groups within the church. And then he gets to the very end, kind of having worked through this complicated issue. And what does he say? He says, whatever you do, do to the glory of God. Right? He He brings this complicated issue back to the reality of worship. So again, Paul goes back into Israel's history, Right? And in a fascinating way, he says, look, excuse me, this, this is written for your benefit. I know one day you may wake up and you find yourself over here like, oh, I can't believe this happened to me. But Paul says, look, I want, I want you to understand, this has happened <laughs> centuries before. And, and this is what this path looks like. This is what this ecosystem of idolatry looks. Looks like. It's so a flea idolatry. I, I don't want you to get stuck here. I want you to live out your identity as, as a follower of Jesus and anything else is a denial of who God is and what He is seeking to do in your life. It's so a flea idolatry. God is faithful. Escape is possible. You don't have to find yourself here. Let's pray together. Father, in some ways, this this text is very foreign to us. It's very foreign to think about um, a city... With all these temples and the pagan activity and these meals that included these sacrifices. And, and all of this is just, it's in some ways, just foreign to our experience. And yet, in another way, it's not. Because at the core of who we are, just like those people in the ancient city of Corinth, at the core of who we are, we can find our lives twisted and distorted by misdirected desire. That's foundational to idolatry. And it leads to this ecosystem that Paul describes as he looks back at the history of ancient Israel. And so, Father, I pray for us. I pray that, that, that this text would encourage us just to be open to your work in our lives. And for some of us, maybe there are ways in which we've just gotten comfortable making room for idols. And Father, I pray that we would understand the just the, the biblical argument that ultimately they don't deliver. And so even now, if, if there's kind of different ways in which this has become a part of our thinking or who we are, would your spirit just kind of bring that to mind? And even as he brings that to mind would would we also understand that you are faithful because that's foundational to everything Paul says here you are faithful to your promises you have been faithful through the work of Christ in bringing us into a new relationship where we have experienced your forgiveness and renewal of life and Father because you are faithful escape is possible and I pray we would hear that from this text Loud and clearly this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. This time I'm, I'm just going to invite members of our prayer team to be available. And even as we thought about kind of what it looks like to not get stuck, if we can pray for you along those lines, we would love to do that. And now as you go, please hear the clarity of Paul's message again. God is faithful. Escape is possible. So flee idolatry. Amen.